0: The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, of course, plus some adult themes, politics, and depressing views of the world and its future.
1: Saturday, the 13th of November 2021. The Spring Series continues with the return of a great friend of the pod, author, journalist, commentator, and troublemaker, John Birmingham. In this episode, we discuss the latest in Australian politics.
0: This is Scotty the bludger all over again.
1: We ask the important questions.
0: Piss poor, is that hyphenated?
1: We explore JB's deeper
0: needs. There is a part of my life that involves turnips and if there's news on that front, please tell me about it.
1: And we respond to a record number of listener trigger words.
0: Yeah, I, I've been giving some thought to to this uh, since you you brought this up in our um, pre pod chat, and I think it's rubbish.
1: Hello, I'm Stilgerian. This is the 9 p.m. Bludge's art of lying with John Birmingham. John Birmingham, thank you very much for joining me once again on this podcast.
0: Hey, buddy. How are you?
1: I'm, look, I'm well, thank you. I've just spent four days in Orange in the central table, Lance. Uh, I,
0: I saw you were speaking around out there. What, uh, yeah. what are you up to? I, I know somebody who makes port out there.
1: Oh, wow, okay. Look, I the main factor was recording a podcast with Father Carl Sinclair, who's been on the mm-hmm. pod before. He's one of the local Catholic priests out there now uh, and enjoys a drink. Um, and he showed me around and some things. But, I, you know, if you're in Orange for a few days, you really are forced to sample some of the local produce, aren't you? You are. And
2: I tell you what, I'm going back again. As our first major initiative... It is, as we have announced today, for Australia to achieve a nuclear-powered submarine fleet. Not a nuclear-armed, a nuclear-powered. And to commence that build here in Australia, in Adelaide, within the decade. Nuclear submarines have clear advantages. Greater endurance, they're faster, they have greater power, greater stealth, more carrying capacity, these make nuclear submarines the desired, substantial capability enhancement that Australia has needed.
1: Isn't Scott Morrison proud as punch
2: on his submarine deal?
1: I
0: don't know. I don't know. I think he's. Uh, I think he'd, he'd like to memory hole it, like you know, so many of his deals <laughs> that that go wrong. Um, and the, this actually gets to a point about Morrison that I've been. Scribbling away at for a while, I haven't published it yet because I, I, I want to try and marshal my case. I, I think he is the classic Aussie bludger uh, of the middle management genre. I, I think, you know, he loves the corner office. He, he, he loves the tea lady bringing him around, his scotch fingers and his uh, is all grey in the morning. He does not want to do the work. And I think that's what brought him undone with Aukus and Macron was that he didn't do he didn't do the one thing everybody was expecting him to do. Obviously Biden expected him to do it and Boris expected him to do it and he said he was going to do it, which was call the poor bugger and say, Sorry, uh, we don't want your subs anymore. Uh-huh. We're gonna go with our mates. And he just because he doesn't as as John Howard would say, because he doesn't have the ticker, he couldn't bring himself to do it. He sort of and he left Macron to To intuit the auguries from you know a couple of comments over dinner at the palace, so well he should have known. And and I think that's uh, he's done himself incredible bloody damage uh, with that that whole thing. And it's I would say it's amazing to me, but it's not. If if you look at his whole uh, history as as PM in particular, but I suspect if you go further back in his um in his career particularly it was time in the um the tourism industry he's just a bloke who will not do the work and he you know he made his bones in immigration locking people up in detention centers but the the thing about that particular part of his career no one saw any of it like you know he wouldn't comment on anything Mm. because it was always you know on water matters and you know he shut down access to those camps so nobody could get in so you know, there was that was a that was a uh, a situation where he could control the narrative, um, and then you know, in the last week over at uh, Glasgow and and uh, earlier at the, the G20, he couldn't control the narrative. Like you know, he he didn't have a bunch of tame uh, journos from from News Corp or you know broken journos from from Nine Facts and and the ABC just uh, asking him Dorothy Dixes and he just. He came a cropper and it's all his own fault.
1: Well, I want to play the classic quote from Emmanuel Macron, French president, uh, which Morrison described as a sledge of Australia. Yeah. yeah. I
3: have a lot of respect for your country. I have a lot of respect and a lot of friendship for your people. I just say when when we have respect, you have to be two and you have to behave in line and consistently with his value. Do you think he lied to you? I don't think. I know.
1: Now, he never said anything against Australia there at all. Not against Australia. No, no. He quite likes Australia. No, he
0: went out of his... That's right. He he, he went out of his way to make sure that uh, everybody understood it it, it wasn't, uh, you know, a state v. state... um, stoush he his issue was with you know the liar from the shire and i I think he's been uh, i think he's been absolutely stunned to have been dacked by morrison so publicly and then to be double dacked because you know he turns around and and releases the the private text message which again was bizarre in a way because it didn't even make his case It, it if you read the text, it, you can see, Macron's oh, got no idea what's going on. It's like, oh, you know, is it, is it going to be good news? And, you know, Scotty's like, oh, i just, I got I to see my mate. I'll, I'll get back to you. He's just outside. He's on the veranda. I'll, 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 I'll see you soon, mate. Yeah. I'll see you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's like, and, and yeah, then
1: Macron's officials are saying, well, Morrison called at whatever time it was, 11 a.m. or some such thing, whatever the time was. And they said, well, that's when French cabinet meeting is. Of course Macron's not going to answer yeah, yeah. the phone call.
0: No, I, I, I saw that. I saw them say, or he actually, it was um, Morrison himself or his office, said, look, you know, we tried. We called at like 9 o'clock at night or something. And I thought, I bet that was 9 o'clock your time. Uh-huh. And so, you know, got on timeanddate.com and it was <laughs> mid-morning, like, as you say, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. I was just thinking, you know, if, uh, to be honest, I don't know much about Macron as a, poli- as a politician, but I suspect he does the job. And, you know, at 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning... He's going to be busy doing the job. He's he's not going to be sitting around, you know, watching TV, waiting for Scotty to give him a call. And just uh, the whole thing. It's it is just. Well, it's a political disaster for him because, of course, he, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening with with Orcus, but one of the things that he wanted personally for himself was to be able to, you know, obviously have a. A national security threat to the um, the election, which is due in the, the next couple of months, and if the ALP would, you know, do him the favour of, um, you know, not getting behind AUKUS, that that would have been all his Christmases come at once. But uh, you know, they they weren't dumb enough to do that. So, well,
1: that would have involved Labor having like a view on something.
0: Yeah, that. yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's uh look you know you could you look at it's interesting if you've got someone like uh, kim beasley uh i have no Mm. idea what beasley's opinion of, of the orca steel would be but it would be informed and he would have an opinion and he could argue it um and if you still had him in parliament and and you know that that leadership generation from that time you you wouldn't be left in any doubt you know maybe they'd be Full throated in their their support of it and saying you know eight subs isn't enough we need twelve uh, you know or maybe they'd say well you know we could have we could have taken the barracudas you know except as a nuclear option and you know as Keating pointed out the other day at the the press club by the time these things finally get off the assembly line um, the Virginias and the um, the astutes will. They won't be obsolete, but they'll be getting old. Um, and the most modern ones in the world will be the ones the French are designing and building right now, which you know they were designing and building for us up until a couple of weeks ago. So it's—I um, keep wanting to say, "Oh, it's a disaster," but it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's worse than that. It's just—it's a—it's a dog's breakfast. It's—it's—and its it's, and it's, it's oh. just goes—it's—it's. It's, oh my God! It is. <laughs> You're
1: saying that a disaster would be better, all
2: yeah. That's right.
0: A disaster would be clean in a way. This is. <laughs> quarantine this is the vaccine rollout this is pissing off to Hawaii in the middle of the bushfire Holocaust this is Scotty the bludger all over again
1: yeah and then he gets cranky when he's called out on it which
0: yeah he really does he really does it's um somebody I, 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 I apologize to them um, because I've the name has slipped me completely someone's got a, a book out at the moment about him um,
1: Sean Kelly uh, Sean Kelly, yeah. The book the book is called The Game yeah. at uh, Blanket Press by Sean, the remarkable Sean Kelly, yes. fabulous
0: writer. And he's got this theory, which uh, I'm very much open to, that in the moment, Morrison believes what he's saying. And, you know, it could it, it, to the, the Orwellian extent that if he says 2 plus 2 is 5, he believes 2 plus 2 is 5. Um, I haven't read the book, but my understanding is that's one of the central theses of it. Um, and I, yeah, I, you know, maybe that's what's going on here. It's, you know, he just, he's such a sort of empty headed marketing drone that he just spouts whatever he thinks he needs to get into that particular corner of the market. And then, you know, once he's, uh, once he's, you know, addressed that particular demographic, he moves on and who knows, who knows with this guy. drives me nuts.
1: Funny you should mention the word belief there because on Friday morning, Scott Morrison uh, had this exchange with uh, Neil Mitchell on Melbourne, Radio 3AW. Prime Minister, we're talking Prime
3: Minister Scott Morrison, you ever told a lie in public life?
2: I don't believe I have, no. No.
3: (laughs) How does it feel when a former mate, Malcolm Turnbull, calls you a serial liar?
2: Well, look, I mean, politics. People have had, take sledges at me all the time, Neil. Um, anyone in public life... Yeah, but he's your that,
3: mate. I mean, the, the, he, he was a friend, and he's, he's saying you have always been a liar.
2: That must uh, have... Oh, look, Neil, I, I've learned in public life over a long period of time to not have a thin skin and uh, to not get bitter, uh, to just stay focused on the job. You'll get slings and arrows from everywhere. You'll get them in politics. You'll get them from the media. You'll get them from time to time. And if you haven't got the thick skin to deal with that, then you're in the wrong job. And you, it's not you... something that distracts me. I, I tend not to take things personally. I think that's a that's a good practice if you want to be in public life. Just stay have focused you... on the job and don't get distracted by the sledges.
3: So have you spoken to him? No. Don't want to? No. You have got a former Prime Minister of Australia you've got a French president both calling you a liar and it doesn't worry you? Even politically, I mean, personally. No, because I'm making
2: the right decisions now. I'm making a decision to protect Australia's national defence interests, to ensure that we got rid of and didn't proceed with a contract which wasn't going to do the right thing for Australia. I wasn't intimidated by the fact that that might upset some people and ruffle some feathers. And I knew it was the right decision for Australia to work with the United States and the United Kingdom to get access to technology that only one other country has received since 1958. Okay. and to ensure that Australia had access to that. And so I was prepared to make the decisions that I had no doubt was going to draw some flack and that people would disagree with it. And if you don't have the strength to do that, if you don't have the strength to, to deal with the sledges and other things that come your way, well, you shouldn't be in this job. And well, want- uh, I certainly um, have, I think, got a pretty good track record of being able to, to cop what comes and uh, and to be able to keep focused on the job and get things done and stand up for what I think's right.
3: Well, do you want Malcolm Turnbull out
2: of the Liberal Party? It's not, it's not a judgment for me. It's a matter for the Liberal Party. And, uh, and, and I, I don't see the need for that. I mean, if others do, that's fine. But it's just not something I think about Neil. Why, why would I spend um, a, a second worrying about Well, that?
3: because Malcolm Turnbull has written the Labor Party campaign strategy for the next election. All they do is he's your mate saying he's a liar, a serial liar. There's, there's well, their advertising Neil, campaign. You must have to worry Neil, about that.
2: We've spent more time in this interview talking about it than I've spent time actually being <laughs> even even thinking about it. So, Fair all right. Not, well, let's get on. Let's go to something, something else. Like I buzz about Neil. The um, US I'm in- not that precious.
1: <laughs> have you ever told a lie in public life? He says, "I don't believe I have." No.
0: Oh, that, that's very much like someone. Uh, that's re- that's taking me back to Fitzgerald days in Queensland, saying, uh, "I don't recall." <laughs> I don't recall if I've told (laughs) a big Who can say? Who can say, Mr Fitzgerald?
1: I'm going to jump ahead then because we have more listener trigger words in a a bunch than we've had in any previous episode of this podcast. Uh, But Shane Perris did, in fact, choose the word Fitzgerald as his trigger word for you, knowing that you're from Queensland. Uh, we are, of course, for the young folk, referring to the Commission of Inquiry into Possible Illegal Activities and Associated Police Misconduct, brackets the Fitzgerald Inquiry, 1987 to 1989. Thank you, Shane perris Looking back at that now, John, it's, you know, that's more than three decades ago, coming up mm. to three and a half three and a half fucking decades ago.
0: I know. It feels like just yesterday to me. But, um, I spent a lot of time in the Fitzgerald Inquirer because it was the best show in town, mate. You, know, you just pop in every day and, you know, they had a nice big area set aside for the, the punters and another area set aside for the, the media and it would sort of, you know, be up to me to you know, decide which one I wanted to go to on any particular day. And um, it, was, yeah, it, it was a what – what a time to be alive in Queensland. <laughs> but, um, but having gone through that experience, you can see why. Can I just,
1: before you go on, can I just say what proportion of Joe Bjorki-Peterson's cabinet ended up in jail?
0: A lot of them. Yeah, I, I think a about, lot I think of about six of them. Yeah. Six ended up in there, uh, but not Joe himself. Um, and surprisingly enough, I don't know that he himself ever took a quid Um I don't think you know, he, you know he he'd certainly get the the roads department to you know build a new like 4 top full lane blacktop out to Bethany is is same thing but in, in terms of cop and quid's from crooks I, I don't I think it was just it, it never occurred to him um, but the rest of them for sure they were and it's why <laughs> yeah, you'll never have ever. a you know that and um, you know the the later one in New South Wales and of course you know ICAC now is why you you will actually you'll never have a, a federal ICAC it's um, never? If never. It's I, I don't I don't know, maybe maybe if Elbow you know, in a sort of fit of ambulatory narcolepsy fell across the line in March next year and sort of woke up went, oh, oh,
4: okay. and went And you
0: know, maybe under those circumstances, uh, and then within two or three months <laughs> he'd lose his first ministers. the wings have been clipped pretty quickly but um i don't uh i i I don't see it happening no because um well certainly not with these guys because if you look at the history of i reckon you can call it corruption it's certainly political corruption um you know things like you know the uh, the the dodgy sports grants and Uh the dodgy car park grants stuff like that it's uh, it's 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 the application of public funds to what are effectively private ends not for individuals but for the ruling party so you you know mm. you're debauching the offices uh, of the Commonwealth and you are basically you know hitting up the Treasury for party political ends and that's exactly the sort of thing that um, you know a, a Commission Against Corruption should be looking into, which is exactly the reason it's never going to happen because they have created for themselves over the past 10 years or so this incredible freedom of action to, you know, use the implements or the instruments of state uh, in the pursuance of, um, you know, party political power, Uh if you look at the way that, you know, what was it, Howard lost six or seven ministers in his, his first couple of months um, mm. and, you know, uh, you go back further than that, the ALP have lost a, a couple over the, you know, the last couple of decades and that was because, because we had standards and the standards were applied. But, you know, we still have standards. They're written down somewhere in a cupboard, I think, but uh, mm. they're not applied anymore. And, uh, again, it, it comes back to... Um, to Morrison, he just he's uh, he's like the Teflon Don; nothing sticks to him, or he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't. He doesn't allow it to stick. I, I think that was why you know. He I mean, you could just ignore this stuff, like Trump does. Whatever,
1: just
3: ignore. Yeah, it. that's
0: that's exactly right. And look, he may, he may well be right. It it could be that our like you know our hive mind is reorganizing itself. Uh, and we don't know what form it's going to take in the next 10 or 15 years, but the things that used to matter just don't matter anymore. And, you know, the, the US is much further along that path than we are. Like, I, I think that thing that Trump said where he could walk out on 6th Avenue and shoot someone and he'd get away with it, I think we all know that's actually true. Like, oh. yeah. Well, it, it'd be fake he, news.
1: They're all crisis yeah, actors.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, they wouldn't even bother with you know he was a terrorist. It was like, well, you know, it's, it was necessary. Whatever. It's um, I it's just yeah, things are are changing. I, I'm working on this essay and i have been working on it for weeks. So I really should do something about it. just cool. to me. I'm, I'm just sort of calling it epistemic collapse, and it's and it's basically the end of a sort of base reality or a shared reality. And I think sort of getting back to what we were. Talking about a couple of minutes earlier, I suspect that is what Morrison relies on, or maybe he understands it. Maybe being a marketer, uh, he he understands that you know reality is created in the moment, and you know if you if you work hard enough and bullshit hard enough, you can you can effectively massage into reality in the minds of enough people, you know, the situation that you want to be true, that effectively it is true. So that's – we'll see. Uh, See uh, I'm always
1: fascinated by the kind of marketing that says on the bottle of shampoo that I have in the bathroom at the moment, and it says paraben-free. Now, I don't even know what a paraben is, but there in two words I've been Mm. told – it's somehow bad and we don't have it. I once thought yeah. you could put orange juice on the market and say this orange juice is caffeine-free and double the price.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah of course it's,
1: it's orange juice. Of course it fucking doesn't have caffeine in it.
0: Well, I think um, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to add hormones to chicken in Australia. It's just right. something you can't do. And, and right. like, if I'm wrong, you know. Pile on Twitter, just pile on. But I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that you're not allowed to. But you can find plenty of hormone-free chickens advertised. At, you, know, yeah. you know, butchers or Woolies or you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, it's how just, the, how it, do
1: the little buggers live if they haven't got hormones? Exactly.
0: Guys, nice, it's extra hormones. You know. Yeah. Chimpanzee hormones or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, elephant hormones God. to make them nice and fat. Nice and big, big, big chickens. Big woolly Chook.
1: Uh mammoth in every sense of the word. And there was another one. This context somehow, you want to just talk about hashtag this is not journalism.
0: Oh, yeah. Like I've been seeing this a bit, fair enough, the, yeah. uh, the, the last week or so. And I, I suspect what it is, I mean, that hashtag has been around for ages obviously yeah. um, with good reason because uh, shit journalism has been around for ages and, you know, Internet hey, has been both around both committed for ages. some of idea, so, <laughs> we yeah. certainly We certainly have. Um, but it's – I think you are starting to see the – you're getting into the sort of the latter stages of the collapse of the old mainstream media model. Like, we all accept, you know, mm-hmm. that, that the old model's gone, it's collapsed, the, the advertiser-supported uh, business model doesn't work anymore because Google and Facebook ate that lunch. Um And, you know, we're we're finding new ways of doing it. And to give, you know, the old Sith Lord is due, Rupert Murdoch was well ahead of the pack in in figuring this out. Like he he worked out a long time ago that people would not pay for information that they could get for free on the internet, so you got to make them pay for something else. And so he doesn't make people pay for information, he makes them pay for the meaning of that information, which, you know, is Myrmidon's... uh, and janissaries supply so you know you just you'll get millions of terrified old people who will give him 10 or 15 bucks a month to explain to them why they need to remain terrified and paying him you know 10 or 15 bucks a month um but the rest of the uh the sort of you know the, the the media industrial complex is still coming to terms with it uh and you can see it at Fairfax or Nine Facts or whatever you want to call them. Nine. No one calls it Nine because, you know, we all just think of hey, hey when you think of Nine. But mm. um, So let's, for the purposes of this podcast, let's call them Nine Facts, the Nine Facts Papers. They're, you know, they, they're desperate not to be, um, you know, the, the Oz or the, the Murdoch tabloids, but they're also desperate to, to stay in business. And it's taken them 15, 20 years, but they've realised that, you know, Rupert was on a winner and they weren't. And so they are manoeuvring themselves into a position where they think they can survive on, uh, well, basically on subscription income in the future because that is the future of of media, of getting your audience to pay you directly for the, the content you're providing. And they're trying to work out, you know, what that what that content's going to be, like, I, you know, there's enough people there, smart, a lot of people in their marketing departments too, to know that just giving people information isn't going to work. Um, you've, you know, you've got to construct a, a whole universe of meaning around that information. Um, and I think that, you know, there's an awful, they're at odds with themselves. So, you know, there are elements within that particular media company which uh, just, you know, want to do old-fashioned journalism, investigative journalism, you know, straight reportage. And there are elements which, you know, want to throw the switch to vaudeville and, you know, there are you know, elements who just go, well, you know, look at what, what Murdoch and Sky News are doing. Let's just do that, except, you know, better because we are better. Um, and what you're seeing with that hashtag is the audience reaction to that, you know, people who used to be, you know, subscribers to those papers or who would, you know, pick it up at the news agent or read it on the train or whatever. And you know, some of them some of them would actually prefer a Murdoch model where they are given the meaning that they want, um, extracted from whatever the information of the day is. They just want a different meaning. So you know, some of them would be subscribers to The Guardian, for instance, or some of them may be subscribers to, I don't know, Alien Cyberg. Um But uh, a lot of people just, you know, they, they just think they've been sold a shit sandwich by mm. the media. It's uh, this, this, and it's it's been particularly noticeable this week because Morrison is back, he's not in quarantine anymore, and he knows he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of distance to make up because he's sort of slipped from where he wanted to be. And so he's out doing his marketing thing, you know. he's Getting a know, haircut. I think it's in a tweet, yeah, getting a haircut. In a tweet the other day, you know, I was saying, you know, he's, you know, just quivering in the prostate with excitement for all of the reports today of, you know, Scotty rolling his arm over at the local nets and, you know, Scotty smashing it out of the park with his, his latest three-word slogan. And, you know, that stuff that's not news like 10 or 15 years ago when to actually get a hold of these guys to ask them a question you would have to turn up to their shitty fucking photo op and then maybe you get your questions in afterwards uh, okay then you know that becomes the background vision and so you know it was obviously it was all television driven but nowadays what happens is they turn up they get the vision and that's it he pisses off and they're left standing there without the ability to do their actual job, which is to, you know, ask really hard questions about really shitty policy. And I think what you're seeing with This Is Not Journalism is the reaction of a segment of the market to that where people are just fucking sick of it. And, you know, their their reaction is to is to damn all journalists and everybody working in media. But, you know, there are still plenty of you know, plenty of journos in, in print and electronic, some of them even at the odds, I suspect, maybe one or two, who, um, you know, want to do the job as well, but they just, that's not the model anymore. And, uh, you know, it, it'll end in tears, is what I'm saying still. It'll and, end in tears.
1: Well, some of us are, are crying already. I, I can understand, though, uh, some journalists... Uh, not all journalists, uh, push back against the this-is-not-journalism hashtag. (laughs) I mean, mean, because, uh, let's face it, they're a cantankerous – they are, we are – a cantankerous kind of antsy bunch who don't like other people criticising us. Mm. Um, You know, we put all the stuff in, the the effort in, and then out come the words or the pictures – And then, you know, oh, fuck, we got that wrong or whatever. And now some cunt out there is telling us how to do our job. (laughs) They weren't there. They don't know the problems I Mm. have. As we say, we have Scott Morrison having a haircut in Melbourne because that's what was on offer and we've got to come back with the 30 seconds for the telly that night or whatever Mm. and that's, that's all we've got. I think I push back because no, it is journalism. It's just crap journalism. Um, we've always had, yeah. you know, not every not every act of journalism is four corners or leads to a royal no, commission. That's right. You know, um, we we journalism has included for a long time everything from from the old bloke who's grown the world's biggest turnip to the under 13s <clears throat> hockey results to. Whatever.
0: And look, that's, and that's all news. That's, uh, I want to know uh, about that turnip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Absolutely. I, 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 that's a fucking big turnip. Part right. of my life. There is a part of my life that involves turnips, and if there's news on that front, please tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, with you know the under thirteen hockey or cricket, I I, I coached an under I don't know, eleven cricket team or something for a while. They'd be limber ghosts. went uh. weren't very good. <laughs> But um, you know, I, it's it's nice to see that stuff written up, yeah. And and that that kind of coverage, that's journalism as well. And look, to be honest, uh, if you know Morrison turns up for his first haircut after lockdown, you know, it's it's a quirky, it's a surfing dog story. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
0: you know, it's a dog that can stand on a surfboard for for ten meters. Great, that's interesting. It's background vision. Yeah. Um, but. You don't it's, lead with it. Uh, you know, the more interesting question is, you know, how the fuck do you think you're going to build a nuclear submarine in, in Adelaide? Eh. You know, you're not going to do that. You're never going to do that. They're the most complicated pieces of fucking machinery on the planet. You might as well, you know, build a space shuttle or a fucking Stargate down in Adelaide. Both of those are as likely to happen. But they're not the questions that get asked at the barber because, you know, that's not how it works.
1: No, no. He wants to be the relatable bloke who's had a shitty haircut just like all of us. Well, maybe yep. not you. Um, and he's, he's finally out of the house and he's down getting that haircut. And I tell you what, you being a, a, a man of more limited hair coverage than, than I, um, I'm just, how, how do you say this politely? Yeah. That first fucking it, sit down and the sh- and the clippers go through the the meter thick layer of fucking hair nah, well, and it all falls to there the ground. You go, it, was hair,
0: it was a moment of joy. It
1: was a moment of joy.
0: I'm sure it was, but it even if I had hair, which I'm glad I don't, because to be honest, to have, to, to, to have no hair that's a privilege, my friend. That's a whole bunch of stuff. You don't have to. To worry about that is true, but even if I had had to worry about it, it would be a problem because I live in the magical kingdom of Queensland, <laughs> where you could get a fucking haircut any time you wanted over the last six
1: months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, fair point,
0: fair point. Yeah, that's it. You just you wedged yourself, didn't you? You, just, you <laughs> scottied yourself there. I did. You, you thought you were walking me into the, the dunny for a flushing, and you come out dripping wet.
1: I think I'm going to talk about dreams now. <laughs> Thanks to Vivica Wiley. It is his fault. Uh, I I do mention my dreams. now In this series, I'm going to get sick of it in a couple of more episodes. But today, here we go, John. I I want to see if you Mm. have anything like this in your dreams. There's a number of recurring images that keep there. One of them is... I'll be pulling this really long bloody string of mucus from my nose, like maybe half a metre of it, and I'll keep dragging it out and out. But eventually it clears my sinuses. And then I've got Mm. this thing in my hand that I have to get rid of. That's one. Another is that I'll be dragging my fingers through my long hair, which is incredibly tangled and matted and full of dry ends, usually while I'm trying to do something else, and I'll be pulling out big chunks of hair, like bigger than my fist and then chucking away. Now, I haven't had long hair for many years. I've I've had the old clipper cut for yonks now. And the third one, do you remember that? that Paste we got in school, clag, still around. Clag, the yeah. Clag, the, the, the white paste. And, and then there was also that kind of other glue. You got it on your hands and it would form this dry layer and you'd peel that it off.
0: Perkins paste, do you think
1: Perkins, Yeah, that sort of stuff. And it was like that or when your skin feels off after sunburn. But I'd had that all over my hands and I'd just keep peeling it off and there was just more and more of it. Hmm. I don't know what any of that means except this, while this I'm having very much reper- recurring things.
0: Yeah, yeah you, and you need to go seek help.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> um, oh, seriously. The hair one intrigues me because these are in quite vivid dreams and I know when that happens in the dream, I know that it's a dream because I go, no, I don't have longer hair. This, I have short hair. This is not real. But at the same time, for the rest of the dream, I'm thinking I must must get in that haircut. You know, whatever. Do you have recurring dreams like that?
0: No, sleep like uh, sleep like the dead, mate. I I, I don't even I, I must I mean I you know I must have dreams because I you know I'm a human being. I got to have room sleep or else I go insane. But uh, I
1: uh, <laughs> there's something I could say at that point, but let's.
0: I, I put my head down. And I wake up seven hours later on, and it's it's just a blank, undiscovered wow. country to me. I, I, I don't know what goes on in there. It's pretty good, actually. <laughs> I don't mind it at all.
1: I I am genuinely envious <laughs> because I've also reached a certain age where you know trips to the bathroom are are frequent in number. No, that's that's something. what
0: your dreams are about, mate. That is your Freudian. Death instinct, that is Thanatos having his way with you every night. You're falling apart and in in your dreams that, you know, that that becomes a a literal literal expression of the inevitability of organic death for all of us.
1: Wow. Okay, good. Thank you. That's that's set the mood entirely. Um, I think it's time that we take a break and do the housekeeping. Yes, indeed. Let's do the housekeeping. First up, what episodes are coming up, you ask? Well, I think you know that the next one will be with Father Carl Sinclair. That's already recorded because I've had my few days out in Orange, the central tablelands. Uh, Some fascinating stuff, some um, unexpected conversation, let me tell you. So that will be fun. That episode will appear sometime uh, in the coming week. And then the next episode after that will be with Dr. Space Junk herself, Dr. Alice Gorman. Yes, I know. We've been waiting for her. It's finally going to be recorded on Tuesday the 23rd. So, that's the 23rd of November. So, if you want to cash in a conversation topic or trigger words, that sort of thing, please get them to me by midday, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, on Tuesday the 23rd. uh, And we'll get that inserted into uh, Dr. Gorman's brain. That'll be lovely, won't it? This is, of course, uh, one of the episodes in the Spring Series 2021. Uh, And, of course, it's thank you to you, generous listener, for making that possible. Uh, Last time I talked about the, the most generous people who bought conversation topics or a batch of three trigger words. Let me now thank all of those lovely people who bought one trigger word there's a whole bunch of you and and as usual there's some familiar names here it's thank you to Brenton Ralph Colgo hello Colgo Dave Gorciger Drew Mayo Frank Filipponi Gavin C Yupdavit Mark Newton Martin Gribben Michael Cowley Mick Fong hello Mick Fong Paul Williams Peter Blakely Peter Sandalins, Peter Viertel, Peter Wickens, Philip Merrick, not Peter Merrick, Philip Merrick, Rick Heyman, Scott Reeves, Shane O'Neill, Stephen Holmes, Silvano, Silmobile, hello Sil, uh, Tim Johns, Wade Baumer, Wilde, hello Mr Wilde, and five more people who chose to remain anonymous. Thank you to all you lovely people who bought one trigger word. We have a huge batch of trigger words coming up momentarily, let me tell you. Uh, and, and next time I'll thank the next range down of people. Thank you so much for all of you who contributed. For those of you who haven't yet, have been thinking about it for a while, please go to uh, excuse me these uh, the 9pmedic.com slash tip that's the 9pmedic.com slash tip you'll also see there how you can subscribe making regular payments that would be lovely if you can't do that I look you know just just tell people how wonderful the podcast is. The more people that listen, the more of them are likely to become contributors even if you don't yourself. So that'll be lovely. And and like, you know, the more people who enjoy this fabulous podcast, the better. Anyway, back uh, to Mr. John Birmingham, Esquire. Trigger words, John Birmingham. As I said, there are a heap of them. People said they, they knew you were coming on and they have trigger words for you. Uh, Phil Koenig has got a couple. He's also, like some of these people, a bit liberal with the meaning of the word, word. Mm. Simulation hypothesis. Mm. Simulation hypothesis, he says. Now, this is this this idea that, in fact, everything in the world is but a simulation running on a computer or some such, and we're just not aware of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've been giving some thought to... To this, uh, since you, you brought this up in our um, pre pod chat, and I think it's rubbish. I I don't think we live in a simulation at all. I think you know it's real. Yeah, look at that Artwood. wood. Yeah, uh, that's uh, I just I, 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 dog barks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> look, I just uh, yeah. Was there a was there a pre digital equivalent? to this, like, you know, people imagining that we all lived in a, you know, illustrated manuscript or, uh, you know, an epic poem or something like that.
1: I mean, certainly in a dream, there's the idea that we were the, uh, you know, we are but the the dreams of gods and all of that. Mm. I'm a uh, simulation... Uh thing. What did us what did I call it? Simulation
0: hypothesis. <laughs> hypothesis. The Matrix thingy. Just call it the Matrix thingy, you know. The Matrix thingy, yeah.
1: What are your views on those films? I thought they were all of it.
0: I thought that I don't know. I, I watched them again recently because they were on one of the streamers. Um mm-hmm. and I, I must have been on deadline or something. So uh played <laughs> so
1: you... Yeah.
0: <laughs> the first one was uh the first one was great. You know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a minor masterpiece. It was, um, it was you know, somebody, you know, the simulation hypothesis has been around for a while. You know, stoned college students had been talking about it for 30 or 40 years probably. And then, you know, the Wachowskis uh, were smart enough to put together uh, a lovely coherent narrative with like lots of biff and gunfire. It's beautifully realised. Second one's garbage. It's, it's a burning garbage fire pile. Um, and then the third one is a better film, but it's uh, by then, you know, it, it's the machinery of the franchise just basically spitting out the content. I'll be curious to see what they do with this this latest one. Um and i uh, like really curious actually because I, you know, hopefully it's not the case that, you know, the machines just took over again and they're just going to restart the cycle because uh, that'd be a bit dull. But, um,
1: you know, <laughs> but I mean, perfectly it, in keeping with running around the circle for another few yeah, films.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I, I am curious to see where they go with it, but I, you know, I, I will prepare myself for for disappointment.
1: Looking back at history, however, I can see on the Pedia page about this, uh, back to antiquity, there is the butterfly dream of Shuangzi, mm-hmm. uh, the Indian philosophy of Maya or the ancient Greek philosophy uh, Anaxarchus and uh, linking things to a scene painting um, and supposing them to resemble the impressions experienced in Sleep or Madness. Okay, and, sorry, okay. There are it's Aztec philosophical texts which theorise that the world was a painting or book written by the Teotl.
0: Well, there you go. Okay, so it's been around for a while. It's obviously yeah. uh, something that arises from the you know the structure of human neurology that um, we you know we we can't quite believe the real is real. We don't want to, for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. Well, Elon Musk, as people who will know, is the patron come to this podcast. He firmly believes <coughs> in the simulation hypothesis. He's had it- a, a in a podcast with Joe Rogan, so that tells you everything
5: oh, yeah, you need yeah, to know. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: but he's like that sort of that. Doesn't that undercut his whole uh, Neuralink business? Because my understanding of Neuralink is that he's terrified of. The sort of singularity where the you know the AI becomes Stephen King's lawnmower man and eats us all, you know, in the real world as well as online. Um, and so his idea for Neuralink is that you sort of link together all of the human brains and we become this giant organic hive mind, which which fights the lawnmower man for the future. There was there was an essay I paid like five bucks for this essay online that explained the whole thing.
1: Oh, it wasn't one of yours.
0: No, no that was, it's like 40,000 words long. It's it's Bloody
1: hell. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll find that and stick a link to it on the podcast website. Uh, sorry, Phil Koenig, uh, uh, JB thinks the whole thing's rubbish.
0: load of old cods, mate. Yeah. A load of old cods.
1: He's having a second go, though, uh, with the quote word, unquote, manifest destiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're a big uh, observer of the America uh, for, again, the young folk, the Manifest Destiny concept was the cultural belief in the 19th century United States. The idea that American settlers were destined to expand across North America, it's a combination of Puritanism, uh, a, a massive self-belief in, in their fitness to rule, and, and uh, a modicum of deep-seated racism, I imagine.
0: Yeah, that's always there, (laughs) and greed. Don't forget greed. Um, Um, Greed. Yeah. Well, America still has this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess so. Um, It's. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of Americans never leave the town they're um, they're born in, and I I did. Mm. I remember reading Mm. a couple of. Maybe it was even Hunter Thompson. I don't know, but somebody had this theory that you know America. As an experiment was doomed from you know at the moment they arrived in California because there was just there was nowhere else to go. Um, now somebody, uh, you know, somebody of you know leftier persuasion than me will say, well, <laughs> that didn't fucking stop them, did it? You know, they they <laughs> just they kept going and ended up like you know owning everything else. But um,
1: Guam, Philippines.
0: But it, if you uh, look at, yeah, like Americans, they're like, you know, they, they, are, they are unusual people. And that that idea that, you know, there was always something just over the horizon uh, that, you know, might be worth like pushing on and killing for and stealing. And like it it, it did, like it, it did drive that that Westwood expansion. Whereas, you know, if you you look at, say, uh, Australian history, you know, what we knew was over the horizon was just lingering death, you know, the dead heart. Yes. You don't don't want to go there. it'll, It'll fucking kill you quicker than Burke and Wills. Um, In fact,
1: go back to the episode of this pod with uh, Melbourne-based philosopher Pat Stokes, Patrick Stokes, who looks at the philosophy of death, and yeah, look at films like *Picnic at Hanging Rock* and things like that. Get it? Le- the Australian bush was just this mysterious place of yeah. doom.
0: And it, it's like if you go back into the U, into the U.S. history, American history, uh, and sorry, yeah, the, the sort of history of, of basically white expansion and. And and conquest across across that continent, like they 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 recognized the frontier as like an incredibly dangerous place, uh, where you know you were always in conflict, either with brute creation itself, or you know uh, the 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 natives who were there beforehand, or you know with all the other fucking grifters and, and brigands and. And tryhards who were you know, rushing westward to to try and get their cuts. So they recognised it as a dangerous place, the same way that we recognise the outback or the, the you know the dead centre as a, a dangerous place. But I, I suspect the difference for them was that they, in their imagination, and this is you know what partly what drives the manifest destiny um, idea, is that there was also this you know incredible opportunity. So, you know, with great danger came great opportunity, whereas uh, in our culture, with great danger came slow lingering death. <laughs> Inevitable death. <laughs> just give
1: up. Snakes and spiders.
0: Bondi Beach, just over there. Go there and stay nice.
1: <laughs> now, you know Alyssa Harris from Twitter, Expect Problems. Wonderful yes. human being. She has uh, picked Generation Z or Gen Z mm. or the Zoomers. Yep. In theory, uh, people born in the early. Oh, well, from about 1997. Well, it's for isn't some- it? Let's just. Yeah, well, it, yeah.
0: It's very confusing mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, Gen X, I'm all over it. You know, love it. Uh, mm. and before them, you got your boomers, you know and mm-hmm. you've boomers you got your gen x and then like logically, well that and here's where it all falls apart because you would think you would go from gen x to you know gen y gen and gen y. z but then you know bloody millennials creeped it and so we actually need something like a chart to explain where you know e- each layer of the layer the generational layer cake is cuz I was like having like. I, reading I was the about to little,
1: say, if you look at if you look at the notes I sent, I have put
0: I, I was, you, that You chart have provided there. a fantastic layer cake, and that I must admit, <laughs> is the first time I ever really understood. Uh, it also
1: shows you when all these fuckers are going to die, which is nice.
0: Yeah, but I, I remember <laughs> uh, when I was writing at Brizzy Times, um, I, I did something. I mean, it must like looking at your chart. It must have been about millennials. And it it would have been, uh, it, it must have been in the early two thousands, I guess, something like that. Or um, well, I don't know. We it was before the Great Recession, because those those you know sort of beady eyed little fuckers were still very very confident in like the future and and their future, and they were just like waiting for for like Gen X to fucking you know clutch out hearts and, and keel over uh get out of the way and then you know of course you got your great recession and they've been fucked ever since and in fact most of the generations that come after them have been fucked for one reason or another um but i've i've always had a lot of trouble in my mind sorting out which is which and i like it the last was it the last two weeks or so was it was it the new york times ran a, a bit about one of them i think maybe Gen Z or Gen Z. I think it's Gen Z, isn't it? It's just everyone just calls them Gen Z, even though... Well, I'll say know, Z, it's, it's Z because Z
1: that's how we say the
0: word yeah. in well, civilised I, nations. I, I would say Z too, but I, I think uh, it's one of those things where, you know, people call it Z. But anyway, whatever. Uh, where I think it was Z, uh, I, I terrified of the millennials because, you know, the, the millennials are just these these fucking woke jihadists who will, you know, take no prisoners and, um, you know, they're not interested in your, your bullshit and, you know, they may not literally cut your head off on the internet but uh, by the time they're finished with you, you'll wish they had. <laughs> 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 so, I, I sort of watched this from afar and I was just thinking, which one's which? <laughs> I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't understand it, <laughs> which is a very Gen X uh, – Gen X responds, what's going on, man? Uh, so, I uh, it's, a bummer. it's a bummer,
1: I mean, all these uh, generations were invented, of course, by marketers rather yes. than anything else yeah. uh, in, in order to decide that uh, you're Gen X, therefore you like this band, therefore this is, you know. What?
0: I what Actually, I remember the process with S because I remember reading Copeland's book when it came out. I was working at um, the Independent Monthly and it came in as a review copy. And I thought, that's an interesting looking book. I'll grab that and then opened it up. And it is a, like, yeah. uh, if anyone's seen the original copies, you know, it, the layout's different, the formatting's different. And I started reading it. Copeland's a great writer. Like he puts words together real good. Um, and But this particular book... It, it uh it, it just it went off like a like a giant sort of bell in my chest i just i felt the motherfucker while i was reading it um and for about 6 months it was selling 15 20,000 copies a week in the us like it was a genuine oh, I, I phenomenon remember it I bought because it, he, I think. He had identified something. He had he had looked out there in the world and he had seen it and he had written about it in a way that the people who were that thing went, oh, holy shit, he got it. He's right. Um, and then, you're right, within about six or seven months, the advertising industry came in and went, this is fascinating. How can we make a lot of money out of this? And so they then began to, um, you know, do what they do uh, and, and package that generation up as a maximum addressable market. So, And ever since, of course, <clears throat> you know, they've been looking to do it every 10 or 15 years with the, the next mob coming along. So I don't even realise there's like, this one at the tail end, the Alphas or whatever they call yeah. it. It's, they must be little kids now. Is right? Like- uh,
1: born early 2010s to mid-2020s, so this is still happening. We're, th- 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 we're making this so up. We don't know what these people are going to be like. No. They're still children.
0: No. Well, uh, yeah, it would be fascinating to see because, yeah. you know, their childhood has been the pandemic um, and, you know.
1: Always online Trump, but the pandemic.
0: Um,
1: yeah.
0: Trump, it's, yeah. It, it's, I, you know, yeah, not the best of times but, um, but you know, what do we care? We're all fucks. No one.
1: Yeah, true. No,
0: no one's going to care about us.
1: No. Uh, sorry, Alyssa. No one cares. No one cares. I think a, ch- a change of pace, we have to draw one trigger word from the glass jar of transparency. We, ca- we can't have the, all of this pre-planned. Not that it is. Undoing this one. Oh, I hope it's an interesting one. I keep telling people, just put a random word down, you know, see what happens. Oh, okay. Crispin Harris. Hi, Crispin. Uh his word is PPPPPP, which you will know as prior preparation prevents piss poor performance.
0: Piss performance, yeah. Yeah. I, I to be honest, <laughs> my, I, I went to the P tape with Russia, but. Uh,
1: Whatever happened with that? Do you I, think it uh, exists?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I guess I do. I do. It's, because they weren't pissing yeah. on him. My understanding is
1: he no, pissing them on the to yeah. piss
0: on the bed that Obama slept in, and I can totally fucking see him doing that. Like, no way would he allow them to piss on him, and he wouldn't go near that fucking bed because he's got like he's got the bug fetish, but yeah. uh, he is you know also a you know a deplorable racist and mentally ill, and he's got a lot of fucking DSM five issues. And, yeah, sure, like, you know, get a couple of Russian hookers in and piss on the bed. He'd think that was super fucking funny. That's enough for me. It happened.
1: Have you seen the video, which Trump legitimately did, he, at his desk, hired a young black actor who looked like Obama so he could bring him into his office and just berate this guy?
0: Yeah, I don't think I watched it, but I am aware of its existence.
1: I have what it is. It's just this actor is just sitting there meekly while yeah. Trump shouts at him
0: yeah. For yeah a few I minutes. Know. He'll kill us all. Um, but that's but not, that's as not, you say, that's, what that's Crispin asks. That's five Ps. Oh, six. Preparation prevents piss poor performance. Piss poor piss performance. performance. Piss poor, is that hyphenated? I would hyphenate it. Yeah, so would I. So it, it's five hyphen six. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, it's true. It really does. I, uh, I I know for a fact when I come down to my uh, you know my office, which you can see me in at the moment, but no one else can. Mm. Um, I, I. It's have a to, really
1: nice office. I am envious of this office. It it's is. got a it big a nice leather reading chair for sitting in, which is right next to the heater. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's a dead cow spread out on the floor. Yeah, it has and dogs it in it sometimes.
0: Yeah, not today, uh, in deference to you. But yeah, normally it has dogs in it. Um, mm. Yeah, it is a very nice office. But uh, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to actually get anything done in this this office, uh, yeah, I got to do my I got to do my prep. And um, my prep is the same every day. It's it's machine like so um i have this this mantra um which is you know know what you are going to do before you do it and then execute with focus and rigor so each day i have two things i do and no more so uh one of them will be my primary project which at the moment is um the next axis of time novel second is my secondary project it's a screenplay that's all i can say um
1: Oh, okay. So,
0: so I know that's, that's the two things I'm going to do. The primary gets four hours in the morning. The secondary gets two hours in the afternoon. And before I start writing either of them, I actually sit down with a notepad and I go longhand, this is what I'm going to do on that project, this is what I'm going to do on that project. And then um, we get on to the execution phase, which means to execute with focus and rigor. Focus means fucking focus buddy (laughs) like you know don't sit on the fucking web or twitter or, or whatever so i have you know i've got software that blocks all that out on my um my iMac and uh i you know put my phone outside so i'm not mindlessly picking it up and and using it and um i have uh my little pomodoro timers which drop down and get going i have apps it's called forest or something, which gives me little trees that grow during the, the um, you know the length of the pomodoro. And um,
1: pomodoro is this idea that you do concentrated bursts of forty five minutes, or is it a variable time depending on your
0: it dep- personal it, it, choice? Once you've been doing it for a while, it's variable. In in pure pomodoro theory, um, it's twenty five minutes because it's based on the Italian oh. tomato timer. Um, and look, to be honest, if you are having trouble with a project, twenty-five minutes is pretty good because it's mm. enough to sort of get you going, but not enough to intimidate you. And it's not going to—it's not going to kill you. It's not going to feel like it's killing you. Um, it's just just enough. I'm I'm okay doing fifty-five minutes. So I do my fifty-five minutes. I get up, I go outside, I punch the heavy bag, or you know, have a stretch or something like that. Come back, um, and. If I don't do all of that, if I don't like, you know, cut off access to social media, if I don't have my watch here set for fifty-five minutes, if I don't time my breaks and keep them to ten minutes, uh, if I don't like tick a whole bunch of boxes, like literal fucking boxes, I've got, you know, I track what I do through the day. Here it is. That's my
1: JB is holding up a sheet of paper and. It really is. It is a very neat page, uh, very nerd-like. Is is that a five mil grid moleskin notebook? Yep. Um, of course it is. Yeah. Um, say, yeah but little- th- you can tell that's a layout that you do every day because everything yep. is just lined up, very neat boxes filled in.
0: Yep. And I just I don't think about writing the book. I don't think about writing the screenplay. I just think about putting either my little red dot or my little blue dot in those boxes. And, you know, that means by the end of the day, if I've done that, I will have done about 2,000 words on the novel and maybe, you know, seven or eight pages of screenplay. Uh, And, you know, at that point maybe I've got an hour to play with at the end of the day. So, you know, I might do a bit of admin. Um, I might not. I'll hop on the twits and you know make make some trouble, whatever's. but that other stuff, it all has to be prepped before I sit down at the desk and um, I have to basically I have to use my method otherwise I know. like I'll get something done, but it won't it won't be enough.
1: I am thoroughly impressed with that and I think Crispin will be fascinated by that as much as I am. I thought I tried to get organised with my daily plans, but I'm now giving up on any thoughts that I'm <laughs> that organised. I said, okay. Uh, but I have admired your productivity for some time.
0: Yeah, there um, you go. It's just, there's, there's nothing glamorous about it. It's just machine-like just repetition. Yeah. Mm. Well, No, that's it. It's actually not just get on with it. Like I, I have all this fucking scaffolding. I have to build around every day.
1: And a similar, in a way, uh, there is the GTD, getting things done discipline by uh, David Allen, the guy who developed that, which I must admit when I was in a bit more of a business that was associated with other people and whatever, I ran very tightly and that system worked for me. I started each day knowing exactly what had to be done that day and everything else I knew was just in the system. Don't ask, you know. Yeah. People said, what, what's next week? And I said, well, I, don't, I don't know, but it's all in the system. You know, it'll, yeah, yeah, I'll, right. I'll, that'll happen next week. So thank you, yeah. Crispin. And finally, John O. Ferguson, who again you know from the Twitters, he's picked a word which is one of your favorites, I know, Splodey.
0: Yeah. I'm writing some Splodey at the moment. I've gone back this to is the, the old um,
1: Axis of Time series. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is the second
1: trilogy, I imagine, because there was a trilogy. Or have I missed one? There was, one? yeah.
0: There was, yes, uh, yes and no. Um, there's, you know, there's the canon trilogy, the first three, um, mm-hmm. starting off with Weapons of Choice, and then I did three, uh, uh, three ebooks, and that was actually when I had my massive falling out with uh, Pan Macmillan down here. Um, I still. Maintain my relationships with my overseas publishers, but I, yeah, we we, we had a set to. Um, and I published a couple of uh ebooks in the access of time. Well, basically, you know, partly out of desperation because I, you know, wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing now. I didn't have a publisher anymore, and um, and partly out of just curious experimentation. So I did those three and they did pretty well. So I am now doing three proper novels. I've almost finished the first one. Should hit 90,000 words on that next week. Um which would normally be enough for a first draft, but I've got a couple of story arcs still to tie up in there, so I might might push that out to about 100, 100 110,000 words. Uh, but, yeah, heaps, heaps of splody, Jonathan. In fact, my my entire week this week has been splody <laughs> from start to finish. I was actually looking at it today, sucking air through my teeth, thinking something which I don't often think, which is, oh, is there a bit too much splody here? <laughs> Do what, I have to break what? it up a bit? What is that? Is but that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Those words should not be said one after the other.
1: Oh. Did, did you not have an editor once who said that? one of your combat scenes was the most violent and gore-filled thing she'd ever read?
0: Yeah. um, I think it's my current editor. (laughs) 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 So she's stuck with you then? Yeah, yeah, she's fine. That's good.
1: (laughs) Good editors are worth their weight in cocky shit. Uh, Thank
0: you, Jono
1: Ferguson and uh, everyone else who – who has contributed and bought uh, some trigger words there? Uh, finally, Mr. Birmingham, I'm asking every guest this series uh, who they think will win the federal election. But before we get to that, you wanted to talk about the people you're calling the unengaged.
0: Ah, yeah. I almost brought this up earlier today um, when we were, you know, talking about Morrison and uh, his mm. curious ability to, you know, um, believe what he's saying even if it completely contradicts what he was saying five minutes earlier. And mm. I think, you know, uh, we, we, we do tend to think of ourselves, you know, I, I, as the world is thinking like us. And I, I, that, I, I like to think of myself as less uh, prone to that because I, I, I live in this vanilla flavoured cashed up bogan ghetto in, in Brisbane, like, you know, surrounded by fucking idiots who worry about, you know, unions taking over everything and, you know, yeah, it just drive me nuts. But um but there is a you know, people do have this um this tendency to, to, to think that everyone thinks like them and it's just it's not it's not so. Uh, Martin Amos has this great uh, Lion, where he says, you know, the number of people you don't know far outnumbers those that you do, um, and there was a great uh, tweet by Hugh Rymington, I think yesterday or the day before, as we're recording, where he had just he'd been having a, a like a barbecue or something with his neighbours and. They had been talking politics, which is something you know, they I, I get the impression they don't normally do, but they got around to it because that is his job, he's a reporter, and so he was just asking, yeah. you know, his neighbor, you know, well, you know, who do you, who do you think's going to win, who do you think should win? And you know, this neighbor who's a very nice person was just going, Well, you know, um, uh, you know, that that elbow character, he doesn't seem to do much, uh. So I don't, I don't know that he, you know, I don't know they'd be voting right for him. And and you know, Scott Morrison, he's he's here. He's, he's like Roy Kane, He's here. He's there. He's everywhere. It's um, it's <laughs> getting his hair cut. He's rolling his arm over at the nets. He's pouring a flat white. Uh. She's going to vote for him. It's um, and like there are millions of people like that.
1: Millions of them, mate. Once at a pub up in the Blue Mountains. It was, uh, you know, I dropped in there about tradie knockoff time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I got talking to a couple of tradies. Again, I do the same, right? Find out what other people are thinking. And that was the day, and I'm not sure whether it was the day that Turnbull was out and Morrison was in, or whether it was the previous one where um, Abbott was out and Turnbull came in. Mm. But... They just knocked off and they were looking at at the paper and thinking, oh, wow, the Prime Minister's changed. Didn't even know there was, you know, what's that about? Like, they weren't stupid because before that they'd been talking about, you know, Afghanistan and they'd been talking about something economic and blah. You know, they weren't stupid. They were broadly aware of what happens in the world. But who's up who and who's out of favour in Canberra Mm. was just not on their radar.
0: No, it's not. It's people- and why should it be? No, that's right. It's um, yeah, people don't people don't think about politics mostly. You know, it's no. arguably uh, arguably healthy. For yeah, them. I,
1: I think so. <laughs> makes them a lot but, less
0: stressed, angry.
1: Yeah. So you reckon Scotty's best chance of re-election are these low-information voters?
0: Oh, yes, for sure. Because yeah, to be honest if you start paying attention, you go, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck have you been up to, mate?
1: <laughs> well, well, I have been following the sports bet uh, odds on who's going to win the election because obviously uh, that is the, um, the ultimate source of knowledge and, and, and wisdom and bet responsibly, probably don't bet at all. But in recent weeks, it's been kind of flipping between the two. Uh, usually around uh, odds of a dollar eighty-five for someone to win and a dollar ninety or dollar ninety-five on the other side. And for the last few weeks, it's been dollar eighty-five for a Labor win. Well, as we record this on the afternoon of Friday, the twelfth of November, Labor odds have shortened; it's down to a dollar seventy-eight, and Coalition lengthened to the two-dollar mark. Mm.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm naturally pessimistic. Um, I, you know, I'd mm-hmm. like to see them gone. I don't think he deserves to be in the job. Uh, it's, you know, I, I think there's, you know, there's some real significant changes that have to be made to both the polity and the economy, and these guys are not up for it. But, you know, the the corruption and the incompetence. Yeah. You put up with that. It's a big country. It's a trillion-dollar economy. But it's just, you know, they – we're going to start paying carbon tariffs in about four or five years because these useless cunts won't do the job. Um, And that's when those low information, you know, sort of zero engagement voters, that's when they start paying attention, when it suddenly bites them on the arse. and. Mm. um So, you know, at some point they're going to get beaten badly um, unless, you know, they get beaten by a hair's breadth in whatever, March next year.
1: And I'll finish by saying, and you can comment on this or not, I want everyone to get used to saying this, Senator Pete Evans (laughs) and Senator Alan Jones.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's Oh, my God. (laughs)
1: And on on that note, (laughs) JB, (laughs) you've got to go and have a life. John Birmingham, thank you so much for spending Friday afternoon with me. Cheers, mate. Many thanks to the wonderful John Birmingham uh, for... This episode, I've really enjoyed it, um, and I'm going to go for a little bit longer because there's just a couple of things I wanted to include that I didn't get time to discuss with JB. Um, I also want to remind you that uh, the next two episodes are with Father Carl Sinclair and uh, uh, Dr Space Junk, Dr Alice Gorman, so keep that in mind, and of course don't forget to go to the 9 pmediccom slash tip to do the needful. Uh, but yeah, these two clips, uh, they really do illustrate uh, the state of things in the United States of America. I haven't been following it closely, but the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse is underway at the moment. He is the young guy who, it is alleged, crossed state borders uh, and and took a gun and wanted to help the police and ended up... Uh, It is claimed, killing a couple of people. Uh, His trial is happening as we speak. And uh, here is his lawyer, Mark Richards, objecting to the prosecution playing a surveillance video of the first uh, shooting for reasons um, that I'll let him explain.
4: I don't know what the state's going to do next, but I suspect... But it's something along the lines of they're going to use the iPad, and Mr. Binger was talking about pinching the screen. iPads, which are made by Apple, have artificial intelligence in them that allow things to be viewed through three dimensions and logarithms. A logarithms? I don't understand it all either. Um, and it uses artificial intelligence, or their logarithms, to create what they believe is happening. So this isn't actually enhanced video, this is Apple's iPad programming creating what it thinks is there, not what necessarily is there. And I don't know what's going to happen.
1: Uh, I don't know what's going to happen either, but I know what definitely won't happen is some magic artificial intelligence making up shit that's not in the video due to logarithms. Logarithms, people. Uh, Mr Mark Richards, the word you're looking for there is algorithms. And the second clip, uh, thanks to Aaron Rupar on Twitter for finding this, uh, the wonderful Tucker Carlson on Fox News uh, is uh, rather stumped by some information he hears when he's talking to uh, a Republican congressman Mike Turner
5: make certain that we give them what they need give them intelligence give them but, lethal weapons but, give them assistance, but but why give them the guidance. why would we because why would we
2: important. take Ukraine but hold on but why would we take Ukraine's side and not Russia's side uh, it's a sincere question if you're looking We're from the American perspective side. no but why i mean Who's got the energy reserves? Who's who's the major player in world affairs? Who's the potential counterbalance against China, which is the actual threat? Why would we take Ukraine's side? Why wouldn't we have Russia's side? I, I don't, I'm totally confused.
5: Well, clearly, maybe if you get out a map and you look to see where the Black Sea is and Bulgaria and right? Romania, Romania where we have our missile defense system, Greece right? and Turkey, the entrance to the Black Sea. And then from there, you look at what the conflicts have already been and Russia's areas there. Um, Ukraine is a democracy, Russia is an authoritarian regime that is seeking to impose its will upon a validly elected democracy in Ukraine, and we're on the side of democracy, that's why people were chasing those planes in Afghanistan and wouldn't be chasing Russian ones, we're for democracy, we're for liberty, we're not for authoritarian regimes coming in and changing borders by tanks. Russia isn't showing up on the border with ballot boxes. They're showing up on the border with tanks. And that's why we need to make certain we're on the side of democracy and give the aid that's necessary so we don't have another Obama sending blankets to a country that's being invaded.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess I'm guessing for democracy in other countries, I guess. But I'm really for America. I, I, I guess I'm for democracy.
1: But I'm for America. Is America about democracy? We report, you decide. Well, that's all the edict for now. Probably all of the America for now too. What a depressing pair of clips they were. Uh, look, you know when the next episodes are. There's one next week and there's one the week after. Uh, you know to go to the 9 pmediccom slash tip or go to the website for all the links. Well, until that next episode, I'm Stilgerian. Wash your hands.
5: The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.